Welcome back to the Ramble Room. It's a familiar crowd mostly. Diane is here. Hi. Mark Jennings is over here playing with my name tag, trying to remember who yeah. I am. That's his, his, his polite way. Glad to have you back, Representative Jennings. Very happy to be invited back yeah. or hijacked, whichever it was. And I think most of the folks listening know that both Mark and I are running for our respective house districts. And uh, you are running, aren't you? <coughs> I, I, uh, my campaign team has told me that yes, I am. Okay. So yes, that's a that's a that's a yes. And then uh, across the room from me is a feller by the name of Richard Tass. Might be familiar to some of you. Welcome back, Richard. Well, nice thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate being able to just drop in and say hi to you folks. Well, the door is always open. It might be locked, but. <laughs> At any rate, so Mark and I are going to run for our respective districts. Um, what do you think? How about you? Well, I'm going to run for my old district. Uh, I uh, House District 40 was down there for a couple of years. Uh, I got out uh, beat here the last election uh, by a lot of uh, empty promises, I think. And when they uh, got down there, they kind of showed their true colors. And so... Uh, I'm going to run again and see if we can't get Johnson County's conservative voice back in Cheyenne. R Richard was my desk mate for the last yes. for his last year that was down there. So, yeah, that wasn't our fault. <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, you I enjoyed to, it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't necessarily get to pick the seating. And then they said we can't let those two guys sit together anymore, right? I think that was uh, brought out a number of times. So, uh, Richard, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and, and why you're doing this. Okay. Uh, uh, I live on a ranch south of Buffalo that actually uh, was bought by my grandfather 101 years ago. Uh, we're, we're, by Wyoming standards, is small. We've got about 1,000 acres around a couple hundred cows. We have a very small guest ranch. We can accommodate 10 folks at a time. And... Uh, we, uh, uh, I've been married with my wife for 51 years, and so uh, we have two children and four grandchildren. Uh, so we uh, enjoy where we live and uh, like the ranching industry is what we've been engaged in all our life. My wife taught school for 25 years or more, or more and. Uh, I have uh, been involved in all kinds of politics, uh, I guess, down through the years. I served uh, on uh, the Soil Conservation Board, which wasn't very political, and then I uh, ran for the uh, school board. I served on the Johnson County School Board for a couple terms. I uh, then ran for county commissioner, and I served there for a couple years, and then two years down here at the legislature. So, What was that like? I'm curious because I haven't been there yet. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the two years down in Cheyenne. Uh, very interesting. I, I think I learned more than than I contributed down there. But uh, uh, it's it's really a, a neat way the things uh, go down there. Uh, some of those people think you, you know because you're a representative you're you're a big shot and that's not the way it is we're still supposed to be servants of the people and go down there and, and carry the people's voice down there 
a lot of the folks, uh, they campaign that way, and then when they get down there, then they uh, switch over and are servants of the state and want to tell the uh, peasants how things are done, and that's not the way it's supposed yeah. to be. Well, that's one of the reasons we started this was to inform people. Is You know, it was probably, oh, four, five, six years ago when Mark and I met, and he started trying to tell me that Wyoming's legislature wasn't conservative, and of course I was, oh, it has to be, it's all ours, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's an eye-opening thing for yeah. most people, I think. Because the people are conservative. Yeah. Um, not not totally, for sure, but um, the majority are. So, we have, a, as you alluded to, a very conservative state, the population is that. But the legislature is not. But it has changed just over the last 10 years. Mark, you've been there. Tell us a little bit about what's been changing in Cheyenne and what you see in the next few years. Well, there's been a the old establishment, which I'm going to use a little bit loosely here because that's across a spectrum. You know, there, there are people in the old line establishment that uh, good people and they, they hold to good values. But then it also reaches over into what today we would call rhinos or um, frontier Republicans, people who have hold, held basically Democrat values and they're attempting to water down the Republican values. And so in my eight years down there... Um, there were probably eight to ten actually conservative folks in my first couple of years. And then we kind of lost a few of them. They, they, uh, they wear out a little bit. And they, they're, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we as true Republicans, or what I call true Republicans, we're not about this to, to rule other people's lives. And so we typically fall more into the the line of thinking of Washington. You know, want to go home and um, do your duty to um, serve your fellow um, constituency. But <clears throat> then as that unfolded about about my third term, we started getting a few more back and, and like people like Richard. And then this last cycle we had uh, people, I think, I think... Um, the Trump administration awakened a lot of people, and then I think uh, Miss Cheney helped uh, really fire people up. They they saw that hey, if we don't get involved, we're liable to lose this. And so, in this last cycle, we we were the Freedom Caucus that I associate with is uh, about eighteen strong. Uh, there's another kind of fringe three or four people probably on that, and. Um, People have awakened to that, and so I think we're seeing a conservative pushback. They understand that with this administration, if we don't push back, we're, we're going to lose a lot of our freedoms very, very rapidly. So there are 62 seats now. That things have changed a little bit. Yeah. And you said there's about 18 in there now, which gives us a little less than a third. Yeah. Um, and some what, of them are not coming back, so yeah. there's... But part of my mantra has been if we can just change eight, ten, a dozen seats yeah. and make those conservatives, what then does the House look like with 22, 23? 
22-23 brings you within a range of taking leadership because leadership has pigeonholed. It's always interesting to me that in the Republican Party, per se, that these old line establishment, but now a lot of the rhino and the um, frontier Republican type thinking has come to the place where they would far rather work with the Democrats than with members than anybody that's conservative. And you've seen them change. Um, you know, this last cycle, there was enough conservatives that came in that they, they changed the rules. They told them, well, freshmen only get one committee. And in my time down there, that's never been the case. Um, maybe one person might get one committee, depending upon how the committee assignments shake out. But um, in this case, they, they did that. They pigeonholed the conservatives as much as possible. There's not a <clears throat> there's not a Freedom Caucus member that's uh, been a chairman, that's been um, in any position of leadership. It's it's just been there's been very few conservatives in my time that have been allowed to do anything, and so the fight is very difficult. If you don't own leadership, then it's going to continue that way. So. Twenty-two, twenty-three puts us within striking distance, but we really need to get up into that thirty-plus yeah. number. Yeah. Well, we've, hopefully, we can add a couple right here. Yeah. It would be it would be a stark contrast to what we've had representing District Twenty-Nine, for example. And I had a little bit of the same issue that you had, Richard. Is I would listen to the last two representatives come back to Sheridan and talk about how conservative they were and how they completely supported the Republican platform. And then they go to Cheyenne and vote the other way. The same thing that happened in your district. And very, very much so, yeah. They, uh, like I said before, they forget that uh, they were elected to represent the people in our county instead of going down there and representing the state of Wyoming. And uh, they've really come up with some real liberal votes on them that uh, like my guy down there uh, he uh, voted not to consider uh, of all the crazy things men competing in women's sports uh, that was brought up and the, the liberal leadership uh, voted it down so that they wouldn't even talk about it or consider it and mm -hmm. and my way of thinking that's a no-brainer I can't I don't know anybody in uh, in I don't know anybody, period, that says that that's uh, a reasonable thing because it will destroy uh, women's athletic sports in, in the school system. and it, It's just insane, really. Where do you stand on the Second Amendment? Well, you know, I, there's some things that my guy who run against, he and I, uh, agree on. Uh, maybe not to the extent that I do. Uh, I really support the Second Amendment. I'm not 100% sure where he is, claims he is, but uh, definitely uh, the Second Amendment, we need to support that and it should not be infringed upon. And so, How about uh, right to life? That's been a popular topic the last couple of weeks. We'll get into that a little more in a second, but where, where are you at? Well, there again, I think we, me and the other fellow are are, are pretty close on that. I, uh, I'm maybe way more emphatic about the right li to life. I carried 
the 48-hour waiting period, both years that I was down there in, uh, in Cheyenne. Uh, I uh, really applaud the Supreme Court. They, uh, they just got to stick to their guns now and, and don't waver. Red. But so. Now, you guys both said earlier that conservatives don't want to run other people's lives, but if you listen to the media, that's what we're all about, is telling women what they can do with their bodies. Um, and then here you have a decision for all of America being made by a few people in black robes. And so they say, effectively, we shouldn't be making these decisions. We're going to give it back to the states. Well, to me, that seems like a more democratic approach. That's where it was before, and that's yeah. where it should, should so, be. So what happened in this last legislature, if, if the Supreme Court goes ahead with this and undoes Roe v. Wade and turns it back to the states, where does Wyoming stand? Well, Wyoming stands in a pretty good position with the trigger bill, <clears throat> although there was an amendment that was put on at the last minute that uh, is, in my opinion, is detrimental. But I actually would go back a little bit. I, I personally have some consternation to this on the, going to the patchwork issue in states. And, um, and, and the problem is I think it's going to set up a real issue between I mean, think about what Colorado, California is offering right now. You, you can, you They'll can decide. They'll fly you out there. <laughs> it, it, well, not just for the abortion. Yeah. They're they're now considering legislation to murder a child, a born child, up to twenty eight days. So, so let's take that within the patchwork of, um, you know, this of the Supreme Court or the Supreme Law of the land. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It, it was a poor decision, Roe v. Wade, and, and the other subsequent decisions following the abortion decisions. And um, now, I mean, just, just think about this in a scenario, because all three of us may have this, this uh, decision-type thing to make. So... So a woman takes a child at 27 days, a Wyoming citizen, takes that child to California should they pa if they pass their law, and they can murder that child. Do we do extradition? Because, because we know who the murderer was. We know, do we place a prohibition? You step foot in uh, Wyoming, we're going to prosecute you for murder? I mean, what what does that look like? It's a... And so, while I applaud the, the Supreme Court's decision, I see an issue that it opens up that now we're going to, I think the left is using this for a divisive measure, not just to the issue of, of um, abortion um, pre-birth, but I also see it as, as now the left is really willing to embrace a culture of death. And we've just come off of two years of a pandemic that, uh, um, while there certainly was true cases also, but they used it as a, as a, a weapon, really, against people's freedoms. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you talk about women's rights to choose, I, I absolutely believe that they have the right to choose in that first choice. They can choose whether or not who they want to be with, <laughs> things of that nature. They don't get the second choice that 
terminates another person's life. That, that's what's really in question here. And so when we say choice, sure, make your first choice. Make it a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have recorded some comments that were made in this last session by some very left representatives who were acknowledging that upon conception, that's a human life. Yeah. They flat out admitted it. But their point was, we have these statutes, and they were, they were talking specifically about the rape and incest thing cut out, which, by the way, my representative, um, first time I've ever seen him vote against a pro-life approach, voted twice uh, for that, for that carve-out. But my question is, is there another law anywhere where we kill the child of a criminal? Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and that's just how I see it. You know, it, it, if the father was a rapist, you deal with the father. That's what the statutes are. That's what the laws are. The child is innocent and certainly doesn't believe capital punishment, so they all get off my soapbox. <laughs> um, Richard, I want to go back to you. A little bit about education. That's about half of our budget. In a little the, over. In the state, yeah. Um, what do we do about that? Well, there again, uh, it, it, it is a, a real problem. Uh, and the answer is uh, certainly not a simple one. The way I understand it and the way it works, uh, the state of Wyoming takes a bucket of money uh, by the formulas that were set up and hand that bucket of money to the school districts and the school board are supposed to decide and they do decide how that money is being spent the state of wyoming does as a state for the most part doesn't dictate how that money is supposed to be uh delivered out and uh i i've talked to some people said well what you need is a statewide school board that'll solve it and then we can tell how much this superintendents are getting paid and how much the teachers are. Uh, when I uh, was on the school board, uh, we were in a, in a time when there wasn't enough money to go around, and we tried to trim the budget and, and whatever, and the administration, boy, they got right after it. First thing they did was they turned off the lights on the football field, they made the parents buy their uniforms, mm -hmm. and then they said, we've got to reduce uh, how much money we're paying the teachers. But the superintendent, the administration, uh, they did not take the cut and were not willing. And boy, did uh, the school board members really caught flack for turning out the lights. And lo and behold, they got turned back on and the administration went on happy, happily along their way. Uh, I don't know, and you old-time legislators will maybe have a, a better idea how to uh, control, Emphasis regulate on the, the old, school system. especially after yesterday. Happy yeah. birthday, belated. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I think we have to look at the school board members. Uh, I've read where, and it's true, the school board members are probably the strongest, most important uh, political group uh, in the country because they they have direct influence on our children and how they're being educated. And I don't think all of that can be totally legislated from Cheyenne or, or Washington, D.C. The school board members have got to, the parents have got to elect strong individuals 
to work with them and uh, and guide the education. I think the state definitely we can encourage them, but I don't know. Uh, setting where I am right now, I don't see an answer because the uh, superintendent in in Natrona County he uh, has way lot more kids and and schools uh, that he controls where. Uh, some superintendents uh, don't have hardly one small school, not a lot of kids. And so you can't across the board say, hey, the superintendents get paid uh, $80,000 a year. Uh, some of them are bumping 200 mm -hmm. And so. Uh, and then there's layers beyond that. It's not just the superintendent. Oh, yeah. But there's all of the surrounding staff. And, I mean, we could go on. I this doesn't really fall under the education budget, if I'm correct, with the buildings. The you know, they've the got, what is it, a 30 mine, $39 million school building in Shoshone where they might have 100 kids? Yeah. That doesn't add up to me. Um, old timer, you got anything to add? Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> there is uh, some things to look at there. Um, probably every one of us value the idea, the concept of local control, and I think it's a wonderful concept. The problem has been that um, it's not working. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I'm not one of those people that thinks that we ought to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we ought to just start over there. I am a person that, that thinks that the debate has to, be, has to be had. What does local control look like if local control is not, you know, they're not willing to. The state has had plenty of money. So we reimburse transportation at 100%. There's no, there's no incentive for the local control to do anything about transportation. We reimburse, I think I just heard that it was over 20000 per student now. The new number yeah. is uh, yeah. over 20000 per student. And while we love local control, we love the concept and the idea, There's the, the debate has to be had that it's not functioning properly. Now, the first concept would be that we elect good people to our school boards, but what do you do when that hasn't happened? Then at the state level, how do you reach into that? Because you're accused of micromanaging when all you're really trying to do is bring some sanity back to what has become an insane um, process of just throwing more money at it and more money has not resulted in better test results we're we're paying sometimes more than t twice of what some states around us that are very close to our test scores so more money did not solve the problem and so as i look at the state's responsibility there the debate has to be had that <clears throat> local control has got got to have some accountability there somehow. And so I don't, I'm, as the older guy, I'm not saying that I ha hold the answer. I have some ideas to it that hopefully would enter the debate. But, uh, but what we've been doing has not worked. And so you can't continue to throw good money after bad. And, you know, it's the consummate definition of insanity do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result well i uh i i am kind of i am a uh thinking a, a good answer of, towards this stuff is uh, uh 
getting some type of vouchers uh, system set up and, and authorize certain amount of money uh, towards the student to go to wherever they want to go to school at. Uh, and so to your point, how do we make the schools uh, step up and, and do a better job of what they're doing and just giving them more money isn't working. But if that kid is worth a voucher, I don't care whether it's $500 or $5,000, if they lose that kid and he goes to a private school, the school system is going to, they have to wake up and say, hey, we're not doing a good job. We have to compete with the private schools and turn out uh, a product that the parents want to bring their kids to. My goodness, look at how many people are doing homeschooling when they could send their kid to the public school for free. Yeah. Instead of that, they're, they're pulling their kid out because the environment is not working for their student and the establishment is not working for that student. The voucher system would encourage, would provide that competition that they would have to step up and the public school and compete. And it might take a long, a longer process in time to make the school system toe the mark, the public system. But I don't think we can legislate uh, that you have to do a better job because they don't. They have tenure. They have, they're in those positions forever and they're, they're set in their ways. So you really can't pass law and say, hey, you got to get up earlier. You got to stay later. Most of my wife taught school for many years. She put in as many hours in the school system as I did out in the field. So that isn't the, I don't think that's the answer coming from the legislature. You have to have some way uh, competition, uh, and my, I could be wrong, but I think you got to set up some type of competition that the public system will recognize their error and their ways and say, hey, if we do a better job, we can pull those kids back, and then we get that voucher money too. I, I like a lot of where you're going. I'm a very fundamental type person. And it seems to me a lot of times we get all caught up in the weeds of the details when if you take a step or two back and look at the problem, what you see whenever you see gross inefficiency is a lack of competition. Yeah. And so correct. that's the answer. And, and then, you know, how we, how we work out the competition, that remains to be seen and that needs to be worked through in a, in a reasoned fashion. But the essential problem is the public school system has no real competition and therefore, it is grossly inefficient, far too expensive, top-heavy, etc. Well, and so what I was going to say about that is that however the voucher system worked, that would be wonderful. But you can't just start throwing money at parents because there aren't any options. And so what I keep seeing is that in order to have the options, perhaps some of the regulations need to be backed off so that it's easier for people to go start a school. Well, you have a, you have a first problem, and that is a constitutional aspect that has to be changed. Right. And the constitutional aspect to that, so you don't get sued, has, where it talks about funding of public schools only. And so the voucher system, uh, we've ex the conservatives have explored that. We're 100% for uh, school choice. 
and I'm I'm very supportive of that notion. I think it's time that we as a people examine that. And that's that's part of that debate that I'm talking about, uh, not against local control, but to change the outcome by the competition, being able to provide uh, competition. But there are also other things. We ran a legislation last year to silo how we how we give the money so that. Uh, while we don't micromanage it, we say this is administrative, and this is um, teacher, and this is you know support staff. So you're giving. I just want to clarify this so that everybody understands. Instead of just giving a school district a block grant, a block grant of, of X amount of dollars, you you give it three grants and say this is, covers administration, this covers transportation, yeah, this covers whatever. because currently what what can happen is is that uh, they can take teachers i mean it's like something like 26 or 23 percent out of every dollar goes in the classroom and the rest goes to administrative or support uh staff or things of that nature they can pull money out of uh out of that support staff or from teachers and put it over into sports well guess what sports are not constitutionally covered they're not even mentioned in the constitution if the legislature really wanted to micromanage what we really could and and possibly should do is say you want to do sports you do that on your own community's money you don't do it on state dime and um, i've been a proponent of of looking at things like that and you the silo idea is, is that they cannot take from one part of that they cannot take from teachers that's that's the typical thing that they hold over our head is you do that and we'll cut the teachers pay that's the first thing they cut and, and that's yeah. the last thing we'll that cut we want off. cut we want we want those teachers we do want and we do we pay better than any states around us pretty much and and i'm happy that as a conservative i'm happy that we have the money to support good teachers that having been said the administration can move that money from one place to another and so you can be very top heavy on administration which lots of school districts are or most and uh, and then you can be light on the teacher pay you can be light on the support staff you can you can move that money here and there and so it, it was kind of funny when we ran that legislation um, the lobbyist for the schools came and said you know what we'd rather take a pay cut than have you silo the money and I thought that was very telling. That's why telling. we need the silos. Yeah, <laughs> it was very telling that they were willing yeah. to take a cut rather than change the formula that allows them to to shift money wherever they want. I want to change gears just a little bit. There's another issue that has been plaguing Wyoming for years, and it comes down to, well, everybody's doing it. That's the best argument. And I'm talking about Medicaid expansion. Where do you stand, Richard, on Medicaid expansion? <laughs> well, I that is probably one of the bigger things that that, divide, that uh, divides me and my opponent. I am totally against socialized medicine, and that's what uh, Medicaid it will lead to. And uh, what? Uh, no, I, it's probably a real simple answer. I'm dead set against it. Uh, and there's so much comes from doing that well they hand out the carrot and until they get everybody hooked and then the federal government's going to go away it will be uh, oh, ration uh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be nice wouldn't it? but it it would be uh, their support and it could would we have be, that in writing it would be, <laughs> it would be rationed uh health care yeah. and uh, uh you know 
But they're telling us they're telling us we're going to lose out on all these money if we don't do it now. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, uh, that's that's the carrot that's out there, and uh, then the, you're going to have a board that decides whether you are too old to get a knee replacement. Uh, you're you, you're not a very productive citizen anymore. You certainly don't need any kind of heart uh, operation because you're you're old. Take or you're an out, aspirin. yeah. They just put you on a that? waiting list. Where did we hear that? Take an aspirin, go home. I, I kind of remember that. <laughs> and uh, that was one of our famous presidents not that long ago. Yep. He said that's how uh, the older folks ought to be treated. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, the, so, yeah, simple answer. I'm totally against it. Mark? Oh, sorry. Oh, I, he, we can keep on that. But um, I think one of the things that needs to be done somehow as far as that goes is just informing people of how that would actually work if health care were rationed. Because I think we're so used to thinking, well, that's okay as long as I get mine. It, I would still have my health care. I would still have my insurance. Or I'm sure that the state would take care of me. So I know it would work out fine for me, and I don't care about anybody else. There's no concept of the big picture of what the state looks like if that's across the board. Where We just don't understand how that would work in a country that has been free. Well, how, how would they decide? Uh, they're going to look at and say, well, the older folks... Uh, he's not a productive citizen anymore, you know. So why can we? How can we invest more money into prolonging his life, if you would? And uh, if he would die sooner, that saves us all that Medicare, all that money. We don't have to support him. And so, uh, you know, there's so many outside things than just going down to the hospital and and you know having your broken arm fixed and saying, hey, government, pay for it. They're going to decide who's going to live, who. Uh, well, well, Mark is a really conservative guy. We're going to put him on the back end of the list. And, right, but I just, okay. I, I'm yeah. used to being back there. Anyway. <laughs> but that, you know, I'm not, I kind of understand that where, yeah, the older people, why should we put all that money into them? Because I'm not there yet. Me neither. So, right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm afraid that we have that, we're getting more and more of that thinking where, it's not going to hurt me, so that would be fine. They're not coming for me yet, so let's go with that. And I don't, I'm not, maybe that doesn't make any sense to anybody else, but I just kind of see how people are getting to where they're willing to sit back and go, well, I'm not an old person, or I'm not disabled, or my children will be taken care of, or, or whatever it is, that this is not touching me yet, so I don't care. Yeah, but if that group that gets to... Uh dictate what kind of medication you get if they happen to be uh the opposite leaning political persuasion uh what's to keep them to say that we're not going to uh give the top medical care to the conservative but we're really going to keep that uh old liberal guy going uh, you know. they, they may not make it official, but you can bet there's going right. to be a board somewhere that's going to consider yeah. that. Yeah, and I'm not saying there's that that's not going to happen. What I'm saying is that I don't know for sure how we educate people to understand that that will happen. It's common sense. Oh, see, we're, that's our. There's now what do problem. we do? <laughs> there's the rub, Mark. Yeah, I, I I actually agree with both of you, but I I think this also gives a segue into something else. So we had a special session 
about the, the vaccines and things of that nature. And in that debate, I forget how many tens of millions of dollars, and that was held up. And this is part of our problem of our thinking that Diana's pointing out. <clears throat> I actually got on the floor and said this. I'm glad that you guys told us how much federal money we'll, we'll miss out on because you've told us what our freedom's worth. You've put a, a price tag on our freedom. And so, so many of these things that are, you want to say, a carrot from the federal, even if, even if it's a good business deal, even if it were, and I don't believe that it is, but even if it were, even for a short time, at the end they've got their hooks and you've lost some freedom. Every single time they do things like this. You just stole my thunder. You've been listening I, to the Ramble Room. I, you know, I know some of the people on the Ramble Room, and I, I think to myself, well, they think a lot like I do sometimes. Sometimes. Well, if we go back far enough, uh, remember when they made us uh, reduce our speed limit on the highway to 55 mile an hour? Or if, and Wyoming said, no way. We're, we, we travel a lot of distances. We're not going to reduce our speed limit. I said, well, well, that's fine. We're going to pull your highway funding. And guess what? We reduced our speed limit to 55. Yeah. And that's exactly what they'll do with uh, yeah. your medical insurance. Yeah. yeah I, so I, I, I'd encourage people to be thinking about it. You know, change the paradigm of your thought into if we do things like this, we're really putting a price on our own freedom. I want to jump on that just a little bit and kind of repeat an, almost a a chorus here at the Ramber Room is liberty and responsibility are associated. You can't be free unless you're responsible for something. Yeah. And if you're not responsible for something, you can't have liberty. And so even as you kind of alluded to earlier, Mark, even if you could prove to me, which you can't, that Medicaid expansion would be a wise financial move and all the numbers add up and it would be great, I'd still be opposed to it. Because all you're doing is ceding responsibility. And, of course, you guys kind of laid out with where the dire ends of that ends up. We have to stay free. There are lots of types of slavery. Yes. And, and one thing that bothers me is that I see how we've moved from thinking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to only thinking about life. As long as... As long can, as it's out of the womb. Well, yeah. If I can just hold on to my life, that's all that matters to me. Um, if, if I have to lose my freedom, at least I have my life. If I can't pursue happiness or keep my property or whatever, at least I have my life. And I think that, we've, that there's just an upside-down, inside-out thinking of that's all that really matters is as long as I survive. They hadn't been where Patrick Henry was. He I mean, knew what it was like to live under tyranny. And he comes out and says, give me liberty or give me death. These people, a bunch of snowflakes, have never experienced it. It can't be that bad. They have no idea how bad things can get. Well, the ideolo ideological drumbeat is, of socialism is appealing to the human bend. I, I'm going to get things that I don't deserve. I'm going to receive money that I didn't work for. I'm not going to have to take responsibility for my own actions. It's appealing to the to the flesh side of us, but to the liberty-minded people that understand, that's a very very dangerous road to start down. Absolutely. 
Any issues, Richard, that you're concerned about that we haven't touched on? Well, oh golly, uh, I don't know how long we've been talking here. We can talk all day on this. That uh, no, the, we can't. Yeah, we can't. Uh, we got other. <laughs> it's things almost to do. lunchtime. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's just uh, so much stuff that has changed. Uh, you know, even this year. Uh, I keep going back. You know, the laws that uh, are out there are are for you, but not you know for the, the not elitism. for me. And we we saw that with the uh, house rep the, that uh, sold his house, moved across the street into a different district, and uh, and our leadership, including my uh, uh, representative from our county, voted no. We don't want to. Uh, we, we don't, don't want to investigate and yeah. see if there's if there really is some facts to what is being accused. No, we don't want to look at it. And yeah, we're seeing that all over, that the disrespect for law, for the the way, uh, the rule of law. Uh, yeah, I don't like a lot of laws, but let's not have a lot of laws, but let's have the structure and, and the laws that we have. They need to be followed, and particularly by our, our people that are in, in government, our legislatures, they just uh, were turn, have turned their uh, back on, on the rule of law. And I think that is probably as big a disturbing factor, and, and that's why uh, one of my main reasons that I decided to turn around and run again for my seat down there because we've, we've got to get some common sense back in, in our government that uh, what laws we have on uh, the books, and you ask about the Second Amendment. We don't need any more gun laws. We need to follow the gun laws we have. Yeah, and uh, it just—it's uh, across the board uh, the the looseness that the politicians are playing with uh, with uh, the rest of our lives. Well, that needs to come to a halt, and we need to uh, have some common sense. Let me just paint a quick picture of what you were talking about in the beginning there about this kind of elitism. I remember our good friend, Representative Nyman, got in a little bit of trouble. And a particular senator looked at him and said, you're one of us now. <laughs> and I heard that and I just about came unglued. Now that just shows that kind of elitist attitude that is prevalent down there. And quite frankly, I can't wait to get there and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a couple of them. Mark, how about you? It, meaning, yeah, I, I did will, you have anything you so wanted to add? I do want to say one thing. <coughs> Go I ahead. was down there for two years. I really felt left out. The, the speaker we had at that time, uh, he'd go come down from his podium up there and go up and down the, the aisle, and, and he would uh, talk to all the uh different house guys and uh, try to get them to go with more liberal ways. And I always felt bad because he never came and talked to me. He didn't want to waste and his so, time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I very much look forward to you guys being there and, and uh, working with you. So the interesting thing about your opponent is, is that he voted that way and he is a lawyer that's supposed to be prosecuting illegal activity. So we've gone to a culture of lawlessness, and even the person that you have in your county to prosecute laws 
now votes against investigation of broken laws. Is unbelievable. And, and I didn't know how to phrase you, that, so you'll you have to laid work out, on that. No, that's you okay. laid out on the floor an argument that I thought was excellent because you said if, if I were the one in this situation and people were raising these allegations against me and I believed I was innocent, I would want the investigation yeah. so that right. I could be vindicated. Oh, I would too. Open the door. Yeah. Come, I'll yeah. help you. What was amazing is that the leadership down there couldn't even fake the curiosity. They just swept it under the rug. Yeah. And let him vote for uh, yeah. to, for it not himself. Here <laughs> yeah. We'll fix it. In these trying times, we know you have options on where to get your information. But we appreciate you and stuff. You can check us out on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Catch us online with crossquakemedia.com for more Ramble Room. 